You're listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast, a program dedicated to advocating for a biblical worldview by encouraging Christian growth and ministry from a biblical perspective. Hello and welcome to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. Our guest this week is John Jenks. He's not actually here with us um, as we're recording this, but we're going to go to an interview, Mike, that you and he recorded uh, just a little while ago. Uh, John is a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. He uh, serves on the council. He serves as the, uh, the the state rep for the Wisconsin Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And uh, of express interest to us today, he's going to be one of the speakers for the upcoming national conference mm-hmm. in Des Moines, Iowa in June. Um, I, I think we've mentioned it before, but why don't you just r- real briefly explain what our theme is for this year at the conference? The theme for this year's conference is the essence of worship, and we're going to address the issue of worship, which is so debated in many ways and ugly, volatile, emotional ways. But we're going to take the approach from an exegetical standpoint. So we'll ask the question, what exactly does the Bible mean when it talks about worship? Hmm. So instead of thinking of worship as as just a worship service or music in particular, which is the way most people define it, let's think back to Scripture. What does Scripture say is the essence of worship? What a novel concept. Exactly. <laughs> F- exactly. Find out what worship means from the one whom we're ostensibly worshiping. Right. Uh, yeah. That's, Especially that's, when you consider that's what we're all about as a fellowship of churches. That's right. Is the authority of Scripture. So let's that's go right. back to this, even when we talk about emotionally charged issues. Mm, that's great. The, uh, the celebrated... Christian writer and editor A.W. Tozer famously said that worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. He didn't mean that evangelical churches have a shortage of worship services, mm-hmm. right? C- clearly, if you're a church, you're going to have a worship service every week, and you're going to do mm-hmm. things under the, the, the category or the label of, of worship. Right. But what Tozer was getting at, I think, is that all too many churches were having worship services in which true worship of God was not occurring. Uh, do, do you think that's a fair characterization? If, if we look at the churches in America, in his day or in ours, are there a number of churches out there that, while they may have programs and they may have worship services, are, are, are failing to truly worship God? Yes, and the evidence of that would be this. Simply ask the average church member of a Bible-believing church, one that professes to believe the Bible, and ask, okay, how is worship today? What would they refer to? They, More than likely, the music. They would refer to the music, the music. yeah. Or in in particular, they would like the worship, and they would say the worship was great if they were singing songs that they liked <laughs> yes. or that they preferred. Or if the sermon was a certain length, more more than likely a shorter sermon or a sermon that might have connected better with them or they sat with people that they liked sure. or enough people said hi to them. Pastor talked about their particular hobby horses. Correct. Or pastor said hi to them and interacted with them and other people interacted with them or people were nice to their children. All that's great. It's wonderful. But I'm not sure we could clearly base a good worship service on that. Right. Right. You, you, you've got a lot of activities. You've got a lot of emotions going on. Um, but reflective in those conversations that you've just described, 
you, you do not have a singular focus on the person of God right. in our response to him, right? And, and I heard that all the time. In, in a former life, before I, I came to RVP, I was a music pastor. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people would refer to me as the worship pastor, and that drove me nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my response would be, well, every pastor ought to be a worship pastor. Mm-hmm. The senior pastor, the, the youth pastor, the associate pastor, if you have a music pastor in your church, all of them should be involved in leading people into worship. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, you, you hear that frequently. I liked the worship this morning. Or, on occasion, I didn't like the worship right. this morning. Uh, to which one person famously responded, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. Right. Um, but, but you're right, that, that belies a fundamental misunderstanding of what church is supposed to be about and what the essence of worship is. So, so maybe we should ask and answer that question. What, what does it mean to worship? This would be my understanding from Scripture. What do you see... When you see people coming into the presence of God and worshiping God. First, what I don't see, I don't see them debating music styles <laughs> right. or preferences. I don't see them lecturing God or saying, God, you know, explain to me certain things. Hmm. What you find over and over again in these accounts that God has chosen to reveal to us are people being in awe of the presence of God. They hmm. are humbled. There's, there's a brokenness in the sense that the way the Bible would explain that. There's a humility about their own mm. sin. So to summarize, I would say that worship would be an awe of God, of his character, and a humility in his presence in response to what his word teaches about him. And then our response would be humbly serving him out of a love for who he is, a wonder of his character, an awe of his character. Mm. So I, I think that's a simple way to define that, and that's manifested in a number of different ways. But I go back to accounts in Scripture, when people are confronted with the presence of God, there is always mm. a humility. That's right. There's always an awe that is there, and a recognition of their own sin. In particular, I think of the Isaiah 6 passage. Sure. And in response to that would be service. Mm-hmm. In response to his character. That's good. We love him because he first loved us. And this is based not on a subjective or emotional experience, but based upon what he reveals in his word. That's right. And who he is. Right. Yeah, that's that's great. I agree with that. Here's how I've kind of expressed and defined worship. Uh, Worship is, first of all, acknowledging who and what God truly is. Mm -hmm. And then from that flows my response. And it's a twofold response of praise and of submission. That's great. And you, you, you've got to have both of those. Mm-hmm. I, I think sometimes the temptation in American Christianity is to want to have the praise without the submission. Right. To want to have a, a, very, a very emotionally uplifting, or in the words of, of one radio station, positive, encouraging uh, experience, right? But without truly submitting my will to the will of my Creator. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I like that you mentioned the, the Isaiah passage because that is so... Uh, informative. Mm. Woe to me, for I am undone. He's yeah. immediately presented with uh, with the glory of God, and his response to that is to recognize his sinfulness, the sinfulness of his people, mm-hmm. and he bows in honor and worship mm-hmm. and praise. Well, we're going to go now to your interview with John Jenks. John will be preaching on Revelation chapter 4, which is which is probably one of the most majestic, one of the most beautiful, one of the fullest Uh, depictions of worship before the throne of God in heaven. So before we go over to your interview, I'll just read the text very briefly here. John writes, 
After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Well, welcome. We're here at the uh, Resource Center here in Arlington Heights, the Resource Center of the JRBC. And uh, I'm Mike Hess. I serve as national rep of our Association of Churches. And I'm here with uh, my good friend, John Jenks, who is going to be a speaker at this year's national conference in Des Moines, Iowa, the last week of June. And uh, the subject is going to be the essence of worship. And uh, John has served faithfully for many years as a pastor in our association. And uh, John, great to have you with us, and uh, appreciate you being here, appreciate you serving on our council. Uh, we've had a good few days of meetings, and appreciate uh, you coming to, to be with us for this podcast. John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us about your wife, your children. Okay, well, I'm married to Jennifer, and we've been married for 26 years. We have three children, all adults now, which is a new phase for us. We have two at Cedarville University, and then our oldest is married and is a deputy in a county south of us. Fantastic. And you pastored in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin? Correct. Okay. And tell us where you serve now. What capacity do you serve? So my primary area of service is with Baptist Church Planners as the Vice President of Training, so I provide oversight in leadership training and revitalization and how those two things interact. I also serve as a part-time state representative for the Wisconsin Association of Regular Baptist Churches. And you're speaking at this year's national conference, which you have served us before speaking at the national conference. I believe in Dearborn, Michigan in mm -hmm. 2012 you Correct. spoke. And then this year we're assigning our speakers their passage, which may be uncomfortable for some of them, but we're highlighting different passages on worship and dealing with worship, not from a subjective uh, musical type of angle, but we're hitting it from the perspective of looking at what does the Bible say about worship 
and from an exegetical angle. We're going to break down specific passages that highlight the issue of worship. And you've been assigned Revelation 4. Correct. And God has given you a, a real burden for discipleship, in particular discipling men. And you've done a great job at that, and you continue to train others to do that. How would you see how discipleship and worship go hand in hand? We watch discipleship be effective when men or women are connected to God. Obviously, that happens through God's Word. I mean, that's why the exegetical emphasis of the conference. But through God's Word to then actually react through the Spirit with God. And when they sense and understand God's presence at work in them in discipleship, that's when they move. That's when they're changed. And obviously a mentor is just a facilitator to help create that connect, help create that understanding that then produces that Holy Spirit power movement in a person. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking at Revelation 4 here, and you've done a little bit of work on that already. What uh, stands out to you in this passage regarding uh, the subject of worship? Well, that would be hard to sum up in just a, a brief statement, but I, I think the primacy of God, that sounds so ridiculously simple, but when this, this passage ends with, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will there existed and were created. That's the foundation. Uh, we have to react to him in worship because he created and we exist through his power. Everything's built off that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, in, in one sense, I don't know how I will preach this, but I've been wondering if I start with that, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the pebble in the pond, but everything else in the chapter and really the chapters around it are reacting to that statement. When you think of like worship and the way many people talk about it today, what are some some misunderstandings that people have regarding worship like when the average christian in, in in our western context thinks of worship what usually comes to their mind you think that's that's a very broad question maybe i'll take it down to what i know as far as america mm-hmm. and maybe the churches i'm in and around i think so often we think of worship as something that's located in a church mm-hmm. or with a church body which certainly worship should happen there but we are to worship when we are scattered from one another, mm-hmm. not just when we're gathered. And understanding that the gathered worship really needs to come out of what has happened in my personal interaction with God, with his word. Mm-hmm. And so I think different pieces of that being off in people create a weird mm-hmm. conundrum of worship in church or, or in their lives. And I think, too, and you kind of said at the outset, Sometimes we think of worship as music, mm-hmm. and uh, I think personal response is a part of worship. Music could be one of those areas. I mean, this passage doesn't have any worship of music mm-hmm. or using music in it, but much personal response mm-hmm. in this passage. Yeah. When you think of, you've grown up in the GRBC and our mm-hmm. fellowship of churches, you have a background in it, you've gone to many national conferences with this year's national conference being in Des Moines and uh, dealing with the subject of worship, and let's say listeners out there today, pastors who normally don't come, or <clears throat> they're debating whether or not they should come, 
what would be your pitch? Not just the fact you're preaching, but uh, what would be kind of your pitch? What, what would be a benefit to them or even lay people in our churches or non-JRBC people who we would love to see come and check us out and, and observe our conference and see what we're about? What would you say are some benefits to them coming to our conference? One of the things that I'd highlight comes from something you said earlier today that you really believe we are methodologically flexible Mm -hmm. as an association. So I think coming, I benefit at conferences when I hear the word of God preached clearly. And I know there's some men that are going to bring it at this conference. I hear that, but where that really takes benefit is in the interaction at dinner, in the hallway, sitting around before the service services and interacting with pastors with men and women on that truth how does that hit my boots mm-hmm. you know how, how do i carry that out and you can't do that at home listening even to a bo- podcast if you will and so uh to come and be a part of that with all our diversity broadens and and moves our thinking mm-hmm. and and that's a benefit to me it's one of the reasons i'll show up that's great. Well, you know, I read in this passage <clears throat> where uh, they say this, um, the, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, o Lord, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for by, for you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Would you agree with this that most of Christendom today kind of has a shallow view of God? Hmm, Do you say that? Yeah. And and what would you say is the cure to that? Like if a church member comes to a pastor and says just some things about God that are they might be like tacitly true, but they're not very deep and they're not well thought out. They don't have a lot of depth. What would you say to them? in regards to coming to say something like he's the man upstairs or, you know, those t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy. How can we as church leaders cultivate a deeper understanding of God in, in kind of a fast food church culture? It always comes back to the text. The t-shirt doesn't guide us. Um, it may create reaction. Maybe a t-shirt has something true on it, but, but to take it back to the context for me, even in this passage, I come to this context of these four creatures expressing worship. I don't even know what they are. It's so beyond me. And so it draws me into a deeper spot realizing I know very little about God and yet I must know him. And so I think that kind of interaction with someone, God is so beautiful that he, by his very image from the word of God, is going to draw them into something deeper. Mm -hmm. And so when they're not drawn into that, maybe we need to ask ourselves, you know, are we giving them that start point from the word of God with clarity that draws them in? And then there's response. I, I think the response of others to the depth of God in their life draws the more shallow person Mm -hmm. in. So I watch people in my church worship God who've walked through deep trouble. Mm -hmm. And they do it expressing complete confidence on him, giving glory and honor to him. 
you can't blithely walk by that as a shallow person. Mm. And so this text even has that example in it. So I think those are a couple things I'd say. We as an association try to summarize ourselves with this one mission statement, making disciples through healthy local churches. John, briefly here, uh, somebody were to ask you as a state rep, church consultant, somebody who helps church planters and churches with revitalization, counseling a lot of pastors and churches. What would you say to a pastor who's struggling, who just sees kind of what a lot of us could see when you see a lot of churches, maybe some some theological shallowness or uh, maybe just some misunderstandings about God? How can a pastor cultivate a culture of God-centered worship in their local churches? Cultivating a culture is, I like to say it is a multi-prong work. And so I think so many times we think, well, I'm going to preach the word and that's going to cause that. Well, we must preach the word because that is one of the prongs that will cause that clear preaching of the truth of God. But I think there's usually other points of emphasis where that same truth that's being preached needs to be brought to the feet and the heart of people. So usually it's going to have to be broken down into some smaller areas. Um, there's always going to be the one-on-one. You see that with Jesus. You see it with Paul, with Timothy. There's always the one-on-one. That's one of the prongs. And then, like I said, a smaller group setting where these things, these reactions to the depth of who God is taught from Scripture can happen or be fostered. So I think a minimum of those kind of three three ways that that culture can be shifted. Mm -hmm. And then to shift it, though, what does God really want has to be at the first and foremost in the pastor's mind, Mm. you know, which is based in Scripture, but having a clear understanding, this is what we're after missionally, Mm -hmm. and then bring it with those three points. Would you have any any books you'd recommend to somebody regarding worship that have influenced you quite a bit and helped understand your thinking biblically? Mike Cosper's book, Rhythms of Grace, I think, mm-hmm. is the title, Yeah, helped me form a clearer way to speak about worship. Even mm-hmm. if I didn't agree maybe with everything he said, he gave me some good uh, shelving to communicate and then communicate it the way I want. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I found great appreciation. That's a more recent book mm-hmm. that was helpful to me. That, that helped us as well. Uh, in our local church context, in regards to service planning, mm-hmm. that, that was a very helpful book to make sure you're very intentional with your service planning. Maybe I could mention one piece in that. One, I had at times provided opportunity for lament-type behavior in a service uh, because our church had a lot of new believers that were carrying great loads of harm mm. and hurt. And I think that book helped us make that a little more focused. And, and, you know, if we're all celebration, that person doesn't feel like they belong in church. The celebration is part of worship. It's always the eventual outcome. Mm -hmm. But lament is is on the path. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. John, would you say everybody worships the lost and the redeemed? We all worship. We're not worshiping the same God, obviously. Yeah, we all worship. Right. That's correct. And we all have theology. It could be very errant, but, yes, <laughs> but yeah. we all do worship. What is what is distinct about Christian worship? Not just in a in a 
1030 morning Sunday, 1030 right. Sunday morning worship service. But what is distinct about the way Christians worship? Well, we either worship as a person deceived or in truth. There's no really other fence points. <laughs> it's one side or the other. And so the believer has access by the Spirit of God through the Word of God to truth. And so now all of their worship can be directed to the one true God in a meaningful, correct way. Hmm. Uh, that's how I would distinguish it. John, thank you for your time. We are praying for you as you prepare for the conference. Uh, grateful for you and your ministry, your family, and uh, how you've modeled Christ-likeness and, and that heart you have to transfer that to other people and mentor other people. So thank you, brother. And uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, we pray this has been a, a great blessing to you. Thank you for listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. The regular Baptist network of ministries exists to make disciples through healthy local churches. If you like this podcast, subscribe to your podcast platform of choice. You can find out more about our ministries at garbc.org and follow Regular Baptist Ministries on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.